We're moving along in the book of Acts, and I hope you're enjoying the journey. I know I am. Uh, this book has been given the title, The Acts of the Apostles in Church uh, History in the Past, but I think we're seeing really that it's the opening, uh, the ongoing acts of Jesus the Messiah. It's the acts by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's acts through faithful and courageous followers of Jesus. You see, God is the hero of this story. In fact, he's the hero of the entire story of the Bible, and we get to be a part of his story. Uh, and his story in Acts, it's, it's taken us on a journey to our passage in chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 that Danae just read for us. Thank you so much. In the past few weeks, we've watched and we've listened as God has shown us something, something really profound. That his kingdom isn't open just for those who have all the advantages and all the privilege. No, it's open even to those whom we'd consider, out, uh, consider outsiders. His gospel, the good news concerning his son Jesus, this gospel is even for outcasts and enemies. Now, the Jewish religious leaders, they thought that they could hoard all of this uh, influence to themselves. That they, they could hoard all the power and all the privilege close under their control. Uh, they administered the law of Moses. They governed over the temple in Jerusalem. You had to go through them to have any hope of getting to God. But the gospel blew their notions out of the water. The message of the gospel cares about outsiders. I'm an outsider. I'm a Gentile. I'm a bald guy, right? Even for bald Gentiles, praise be to God. Now, last week we saw Philip taking the gospel to a group called Samaritans, and they were viewed as half-breeds, not quite Jewish and not quite Gentile, and they acknowledged the God of the Old Testament, but they put their own twist on their beliefs, which put them at odds with the Jews. But Philip was one of seven chosen to serve tables to widows and ensure justice and fairness in God's family, and Philip was a bold proclaimer of the gospel, the good news. He spoke of Jesus to great crowds, and, and they were believing, and they were getting baptized. I mean, wow. I mean, what kind of preacher doesn't love preaching to lots of people and seeing people come to faith and responding to his sermons, right? And so Philip, he was on his way to gaining a lot of influence, and I'm sure he was getting booking requests to come and preach in villages all over Samaria. And his smartphone calendar was probably getting filled up with several speaking engagements every day. But today, as we just saw in this passage, God clears Philip's schedule. Instead of preaching to another crowd, God cancels the Samaritan revival tour and sends him on a journey to a barren spot in the desert. What good would his gospel preaching do for dirt and rocks in the wilderness, right? Come on. Who would hear the message there? If I was Philip, I'd be wondering to myself, God, why are you interrupting my important work here? Don't you know I'm busy? I've got better things to do. And you may have been there too. You've got important tasks and appointments on your schedule. And then all of a sudden, bam, something happens that derails your plans. A flat tire, a trip to the emergency room, a kid gets the flu, a long line at the grocery store, a traffic jam that makes you miss that important meeting. God, don't you know that I'm busy? I've got important things to do. But God had something important for Philip in that desert. You see, God has a way of clearing your schedule so he can get his work done. His work, after all, is more important than our work, right? 
And God had made what we would call a divine appointment, a divine appointment for Philip and an Ethiopian man on a desert road in southern Judea. What did Philip make of this divine appointment? And would God do such a thing for us, for you, for me? How should we understand the interruptions in our day? Are they merely coincidental annoyances, or could they be designed by God as divine appointments for us as we live sent? And that brings us to our big idea today from Acts 8, 26 to 40, and it's this. God schedules divine appointments in unlikely moments. God clears our schedules for his appointments. His divine appointments can come when we least Suspect it, even in the unlikely moments of our day. Now, let's take a look at this big, big idea from our passage today. And the first thing we want to see is from chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's this, God clears Philip's schedule for a divine appointment. Now, right after great revival in Samaria from his preaching ministry in the previous passage, God delivers new orders to Philip through an angel. And this message is to go south, but not to a city not to a high-powered church service. No, I want you to go to a road, Philip, and not just any road, but a desert road. Now, uh, living on the West Coast for 40 years, I can visualize what this looks like. We don't have uh, any deserts from what I understand. If there are, please show me. Deserts here on the East Coast, but we do have some rural and remote places, right? Uh, My family drove across the country last May, And our journey took us through Death Valley. And I think I got a photo here of us. There we are in Death Valley. My kids are going to be horrified. I didn't warn them I was going to do this, right? Now take a look at that photo. I mean, talk about barren, right? And here's my little congregation that I preached to in Death Valley. And it was really hot. It was really dry. So they wouldn't really let me preach as long as I'd hoped to. But uh, I mean, talk about barren, right? Death Valley. It was really dry. It was really hot. So we look at Philip's situation here. This desert road, it was not an ideal spot for a sermon, right? But Philip obeyed his orders. He rose and he went. Now, we don't know what he's thinking. We don't know what he's feeling, but he goes. In verse 27, in the translation we're using today, it doesn't quite convey this as well as it should But in the original Greek language, it says that Philip got up and went and bam, behold, Luke is telling a story of a divine appointment, and he wants us to catch the irony. Philip is running some obscure errand for God on a desert road, and what does he find? Behold, check it out. Look what Philip just happens to come across, what he just happens to stumble upon. It's an important official. The treasurer for the queen of the Ethiopians is traveling along. And he's, he's not just traveling, he's a worshiper. He's returning from Jerusalem. And he's reading from the prophet of Isaiah in the Bible. The irony, what a coincidence, right? And the Spirit prompts Philip to step into the moment. Now, verse 29 says that the Spirit uh, said to Philip, approach and join this chariot. And my very uninspired paraphrase would be something like this. Hey, Philip, go over there and talk to this guy, all right? Just get up and go over there and talk to him. 
Uh, now, maybe you've been in a moment like this where you're Philip and you're walking along on a path. I, I just got introduced to Burke Lake recently. I love walking around Burke Lake. It's beautiful, right? And, and you're walking along, and I don't mind when like somebody's passing the other way, but you, when you're walking along someone and you're kind of going the same speed, it's kind of awkward, right? You're just close enough to that other person that they know you're there, but you're just far enough away that it seems weird, so you don't really say anything to each other. And it's, it's kind of like when you're on an elevator, right? And if you have to go multiple floors and it's stopping and you're standing close enough to the other person that you could smell what they had for lunch on their breath, right? It's pretty gross, right? Right? But do you say something? And what would you say anyway? I'm sure that's kind of the dilemma that, that Philip's feeling in this moment. But he senses something. The Spirit gives him that nudge that says, go over there and talk to that man. You see, in, in moments like these, as followers of Jesus... We must have enough spiritual sensitivity to hear and obey the Holy Spirit when he nudges us, when he prompts you and me, even when he speaks to your heart to interact with the person he's just put into your life. Now, Philip, we've already discussed that Philip's an evangelist. He's a good news teller. He's a gospel preacher. But he doesn't just walk over and start preaching to this man. No, that would be arrogant and rude, and frankly, it'd be kind of weird, right? Let me just start preaching to you, right? <laughs> Philip is wise. Philip is patient. But more than that, Philip is humble. He doesn't just assume that this man needs a sermon. So what does he do? He asks a question, and not just any question. It's a question that addresses this man right where he's at do you understand what you're reading? Philip sees an opportunity to love and help this man in, in what seemed like an unlikely moment when he began his journey. God had prepared Philip for this moment. But what we're going to see next is that God was preparing this man for this moment as well. And so we move to part two of the story in verses 31 to 34. God prepares an unlikely man in an unlikely moment. In honesty and humility, now this man confesses that this Bible passage from Isaiah is just going way over his head, right? He needs a guide and he wonders if Philip might have some of the answers he's looking for. God was preparing this man at this moment on a desert road. And God even sent Philip in this moment to help this man understand one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible. It comes from Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And, and the entire section in Isaiah, chapters 52 and 53, describe God's special servant. The servant acts wisely, but not for his own sake. No, this, this servant, he, his wisdom leads him to suffer. And not just suffer, but suffer unjustly. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, where's the wisdom in that, right? Going and willingly suffering injustice. But this passage reveals that this suffering servant was accomplishing a great and powerful work. The work that none of us could ever do for ourselves. The wise serp, uh, servant would suffer for the sins of the people so that they could be made right with God again. And this man is reading the description of God's servant who's like a sheep led to the slaughter. And this servant was silent through his suffering, not raising any complaint or any cry for injustice. No, in fact, this servant was humiliated 
and was denied justice as his life was taken away. And because of that, he had no earthly offspring, no earthly heritage. No, this servant suffered, and he suffered unjustly. Uh, there's a lot of talk today about social justice and caring for those in our society, in our communities who are oppressed. And the demands of the gospel command us to get into those spaces and care for those who are hurting. But friend, <laughs> there is no one who knows suffering unjustly like the suffering servant of Isaiah. He willingly took on the punishment for the sins of others so that they could go free. And he willingly did this because of love. He loved his people and he set them free and made them righteous through his suffering on their behalf. No one understands the pains of injustice like God and his suffering servant. But God isn't done. He sets people free. And he's about to show this Ethiopian court official who this suffering servant is. Now, we haven't said much yet about this Ethiopian man, right? He's the queen's treasurer, and he's an Ethiopian. He's a black-skinned man from a region the Bible often refers to as Cush, likely uh, located in modern Sudan along the, uh, the Nile River. Now, this region where this man came from, in the minds of the writers of the Bible, was like at the far edge ends of the earth. Like, it's way, way out there. The farthest reaches of the world. And this man likely had dark black skin. He was from a region uh, far from Philip, and he was from an ethnic group far different than Philip and his Jewish brethren. But not only that, he was a eunuch. Now, this means that this man had been castrated, likely, to be prepared for service. That's brutal, right? castrated so he could be prepared for service in the royal court. And eunuchs were often placed as heads over king's harem since they couldn't sleep with the king's concubines and they could trust these eunuchs, right? But this eunuch was in charge of the Ethiopian queen's treasury. This man, he was an Ethiopian eunuch. He's an unlikely person, maybe the unlikeliest person that you'd think would travel a thousand miles to worship at Jerusalem. In fact, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, a eunuch, especially a foreigner, could not enter the assembly of the Lord. There was a place for people like this uh, at the temple in Jerusalem. They belonged to the court of the Gentiles. This was a place where they could pray near the temple, but they could never be allowed to go into or close to the temple. He could pray, but he could never truly approach God in Jerusalem. Was this fair? Was this just? Now, these questions may have caused the Ethiopian eunuch to pause right at this section in Isaiah. And I'm sure he wants to know, who is this passage about? He's thinking to himself, where is God's justice? Who is this passage referring to? I get where this guy is coming from. Sometimes I feel humiliated too. He doesn't have generations coming from him either. What's my legacy? Sometimes it's in the unlikeliest moments that we get glimpses of God's grace. Luke knows that God has a plan for foreigners, even eunuch foreigners. And it's all because of the work of God's wise servant who suffered. And so Luke, who authors our passage here today, he wants us to see God at work at the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. Because several chapters later, I believe in Isaiah 56, Luke wants us to remember this, that God declares more good news to the prophet Isaiah. 
Listen to this. Just a few chapters after the verses that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading, it says this. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, listen to this promise, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Hope for this Ethiopian eunuch man, and he's just a few chapters away, but he pauses right in Isaiah 53. Wow, what hope, and not just any hope, personal hope for this man. An unlikely man was promised hope from from God hundreds of years before this encounter, but will he get to this hope? God had a promise of hope, of a heritage, of a name better than sons or daughters who, who could have been born to him biologically. But he, did this Ethiopian eunuch, did he know about this passage later in Isaiah? Would he get his questions answered? Would he ever get to know God's plan for him that was promised hundreds of years before? Now, in our story, we get to this, this moment that's kind of like a moment in a movie or a, or a great fairy tale. Like in Cinderella, I love the end of the story in Cinderella, the movie, you know, animated. I'll watch it, sure. The prince was searching far and wide for that mysterious young woman whom he fell in love with at the ball. And, and, and all, he had, all he had, though, was the one glass slipper she left behind. You know the story, right? The climax becomes agonizing in a few moments because Cinderella's evil stepmother keeps her from revealing that she is that mysterious young woman that this prince is looking for, right? And though one glass slipper breaks, it seems like her final hope is lost. You're delighted when Cinderella comes forward and says, I have the other slipper, right? You're like, bam, right? Truth bomb, there it is. And she proves that she's the rightful bride to Prince Charming. What a moment. I think we're in a moment like that in this story, in Luke's story. The Ethiopian eunuch wants to know, who is this passage about? Is there any hope for me? Is there a happy ending to Isaiah's story or to my story or the suffering servant's story? The climax to this unlikely moment almost seems agonizing until we read what happens next. Our third part to the story, verses 35 to 38 says, Philip steps into his divine appointment with the gospel. Verse 35 says that Philip opened his mouth. This is where hope for this man begins. A faithful follower of Jesus opens his mouth, but but what comes out of his mouth? Good news. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. I can't imagine what must be going through Philip's mind at this moment, right? Wow. Seriously, Lord? You're absolutely amazing. You set the table perfectly for this man. He's about to receive the feast of the gospel that you've served up for him. I can't believe you're letting me serve this up to such a willing recipient, someone who is hungry for a nutritious meal of the gospel. And Philip begins right where this man is. He doesn't ignore his questions. He begins with this scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. And he explains what's going on in the passage of Isaiah. Friends, Philip knows. 
just like the other apostles, and even Jesus himself knew that the wise servant of Isaiah is Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, the one who willingly suffered injustice at the hands of wicked people. He let his life be taken away like a lamb so that he could gain an eternal spiritual family. And we see that family right in this room, followers of Jesus. Praise God. This was the news that this Ethiopian eunuch was looking for. Philip, uh, he, he tells him about Jesus, the Messiah, who came and suffered the greatest injustices that the world had ever seen. And Jesus did it. He did it so that a foreigner, so that a eunuch, so that this black-skinned man could be brought into the eternal family of God. What a conversation these two are having. What a Bible study, right? And the author of Acts, Luke, he loves to write about great Bible studies. In fact, back in Luke 24, a couple of Jesus' followers, the disciples, they were traveling on another road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. They were confused because they had just witnessed Jesus die on the cross, and they had heard that he'd been raised from the dead. But on their journey, Jesus shows up, but they didn't recognize him. Then Jesus leads a Bible study with them, and and he shows them that everything in the Bible correctly points to the Messiah, to the Christ. And then over a meal, the disciples' eyes, they open up, and they see Jesus, but then he vanishes right at that moment. They first had to see that the Bible is all about him. And that's what Philip, Philip showed the Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't have to wonder who this passage is about any longer. He didn't have to wonder about this suffering servant. In fact, this Ethiopian eunuch could have a relationship with this wise servant and be brought into God's family right then and there in an unlikely moment on a desert road. I love the next question from this man. What prevents me from being baptized? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. What prevents me from being baptized? You know, because they just happen to come across some water in the middle of the desert, right? Unlikely moments, divine appointments, right as Philip is explaining the gospel to him. And you know what? Philip baptizes him right then and right there on a desert road in the unlikeliest of places in an unlikely moment for an unlikely man. But he was God's man. He was God's chosen God had set up this divine appointment for Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch so they could watch God go to work. Wow, what a moment. Now, I want you to think back to the moments that that brought you to this one right now, right as we sit here today. You're sitting in church today, well, a church service, we're in an auditorium, right? Someone invited you. Someone drove you or met you or, found, or you found us on a Google search or whatever. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've had some divine appointments too, right? You've been through some stuff in your life, right? Good and bad that have brought you to this moment right now. You, you've had questions. I'm sure you've had concerns. You've probably even had doubts. You may have some here today as well. And the Lord has directed your path just like our friend on the road. You're here today for a divine appointment. The Lord brought someone to you to speak good news. 
That person that, that the Lord brought to you just like Philip, they opened their mouth with good news about Jesus. Praise God for divine appointments, amen? Oh my, the Lord has showed up for me so many times. He clears the calendars of his people equipped with the good news of the gospel. And he clears the calendars of those who need to hear it. He gets his message of hope and life communicated from one person to another as he coordinates their schedules so that they could be together for a divine appointment, even in the unlikeliest of moments. What a divine appointment for Philip. What a divine appointment for this Ethiopian eunuch. But the impact of this divine appointment and this unlikely moment, it doesn't stop here. The fourth part of our story is in verses 39 to 40. Luke writes in verses 39 to 40 that the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And we see that gospel growth, it springs from an unlikely moment. But the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and that Philip found himself at Azotus. Now, there's lots of debate about this verse. You know, was this a miracle or did Philip just go as he was directed by the Spirit? I don't really know that we can know for certain, but I think the Spirit carried him away in a moment. But what we do know is this. We do know this. The important thing is that Philip sees new divine appointments ahead of him as he steps into this moment, as he steps into future moments. What about our friend? What about the Ethiopian eunuch? His divine appointment with Philip, it was, it was over in that moment. The Spirit just took Philip away, but his story wasn't over. It says in verse 40 that he went away rejoicing. God had radically transformed his life. He was an outsider who had been brought in. The wise, suffering servant of Isaiah that he was reading about was now his Lord and his Savior. And he had some good news to share back home with his boss, the queen of, of Ethiopia. In fact, Irenaeus, a Greek church father of the second century AD, he writes that this Ethiopian eunuch goes down to his homeland and he becomes a missionary to Ethiopians. And this good news will go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Wow. All flowing from this divine appointment in an unlikely moment. It seemed like an interruption in Philip's schedule. He was preaching and watching entire cities turn in faith to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And our calendars, too, are filled with important meetings and important tasks. And we have goals and we have objectives. And you should. Amen. You should. But if you're like me, you live by the calendar and this little device right here, right? I mean, sometimes I wonder how I ever got around and accomplished anything uh, before I had Siri reminding me of all my appointments and tasks that I want to get done. I actually used to write it down on paper. I mean, that sounds so primitive, right? To-do lists on paper. You know, how many of you had paper, you know, calendars, planning calendars, right? It sounds so primitive now. But God has a way of turning our calendars upside down. Siri may get me around town and remind me of my appointments, but God knows how to remind me that he is the king over my calendar. And he schedules divine appointments for me in the unlikeliest of moments. You know, once I was asked to be a part of a, a, an informal interview of a man who wanted to become a member of the church I was a part of in California, 
And I, it was like a Saturday morning, and I had other stuff going on that day that I was eager to get to. I just wanted to get it done. I thought, okay, about 15 minutes, you know, we can ask some questions, just hear his response so we can move, on, move forward. But it became clear very quickly that this man had a lot of questions. He had big questions, and he didn't have satisfying answers to those questions. Uh, so the other person who was with me, we, we sat, we looked at each other, we realized, man, we... This guy needs the gospel. He needs to hear the good news about Jesus. And so we opened the Bible with him, looked at some scripture, and we helped him see that all sinners, us, all of us, are rescued by God because of his grace. And that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead to offer us eternal life. And that eternal life is only received as a free gift. And I had hoped uh, that the interview would be done really quickly, but it ended up lasting two to three hours, right? But you know what? God had planned a divine appointment for us. This man turned from his sinful self-reliance and he trusted Jesus that day. Not long after that, I got to baptize this man during one of our Sunday services. I am not the hero to this story, friends. I'm telling you right now. Jesus interrupted and said, hey, wait a minute. I got something even better for you than whatever you have planned here over the next few hours. I think I even texted Laura. Laura, you got to forgive me. I know I'm supposed to meet you. I got something important going on, and she was so gracious to me. But that man came to faith in Jesus that day, and me and the other person that we're interviewing, we're just blown away. We're like, we, we thank the Lord. After we dismissed the guy, we just praised God. Lord, we had no idea that was about to happen. Only God could have arranged such a divine appointment. Just this week, Pastor Hang and I, we were talking. He was amazed at an encounter that he had with a man at a practice for one of his son's basketball teams. He sat down and had lunch with this man because this man is craving friendship. This man is craving community. It was a divine appointment for Pastor Hang to share the good news of Jesus, who calls us his friend and brings us into his family. And, and Hang had no idea he just showed up for his son, but God turned that into a divine appointment. This is God's plan for us, for you, for me, that we would step into the moments when God turns our schedules upside down and shows us that he's got a divine appointment for us, just like he did with Philip, just like he did with this Ethiopian man. That brings us back to our big idea today. God's schedules divine appointments in the unlikeliest of moments. But how can we be ready, <laughs> right? We got things to do. We got people to pick up. We got schedules to keep. How do we get ready? Will you be ready when God turns your schedule upside down and you have a moment with an unlikely person and an unlikely moment? This brings us to our so what question that we try to answer each week. What does this mean for Monday, all right, you're catching on. What does this mean for Monday? And the question we really want to ask is, how can I be ready for the divine appointments that God schedules for me? Uh, we want to be ready when our number is called, right, to get into the game and step into the moment. All right, we, there was a backup running back last night. He, he wasn't scheduled to start, but he came in and he tore up the game for our, my Ohio State Buckeyes, right? But he was ready. His number was called, and he came in, and he did a marvelous job. And I don't want to fumble the ball when my name is called, friends. I don't. I don't think that you want to fumble the ball when your number is called to say, I've got a divine appointment for you. How can we prepare ourselves? First thing, prepare yourself each day. Prepare yourself each day. Each day is a new opportunity for a divine appointment. It may come at an unlikely moment. 
Sometimes you know when they're coming. Maybe you've got a coffee appointment uh, with a friend, or maybe you've got a planned Bible reading with a child or something, but sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. How do we get prepared every day? First of all, pray. Pray for the Spirit to lead you. Include this in your daily quiet time with the Lord. Pray for opportunities. And then also pray for your readiness and sensitivity in the moment. Sometimes I am completely insensitive to the needs of others. And that's why I've got a beautiful bride and she tells me, hey, that person is hurting right now. You need to go talk to them. Oh, I had no idea, right? But pray for sensitivity in the moment. Ask for the Lord to open doors to you. Maybe you've got an abrasive coworker or neighbor or even a spouse or family member, right, whom God is preparing. Ask the Lord to open doors for you. Ask him to open your eyes to step into the moments that he gives you for your divine appointments. And then how else do you prepare yourself? Well, first, you've got to submit your calendar to Jesus. You've got to submit your calendar to Jesus. Christian, Listen to this today. Christian, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. What was that price? The precious blood of Jesus. And there's no greater joy than living for him. That's hard when your plans get turned upside down. So we pray and we plan, but we hold our plans loosely. In fact, this principle comes out in Proverbs 16.9. It says, the heart of a man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Yes, our plans matter, but his plans matter even more. The moments you feel in the least control of your schedule may just be the moments God is preparing you and he's getting you ready to use you. So be ready and be obedient. Submit your calendar to Jesus. So we want to prepare ourselves every day. But we also want to keep our eyes and ears open to the Spirit's work in the lives of others. Keep your eyes and your ears open. First, just stop and listen to your neighbor's needs. The art of listening is lost in our culture, right? And I'm in the front line of being accused of being a terrible listener at times. But really listen. Sincerely listen. As followers of Jesus, we should be the best listeners on the planet. But this takes time. And it takes patience, and it takes humility, and it takes compassion to listen. But as you listen, ask the Spirit for wisdom. He'll give it to you. He loves to give wisdom. But as you do that, as you, uh, as you keep your eyes and ears open, also ask good questions. Ask good questions. Don't assume. I'll admit this is another weakness of mine. I tend to assume another's needs without asking good questions. Philip knew what to do. He asked his Ethiopian neighbor on the road if he understood what he was reading, right? And the man opened up to him. Ask simple questions. Questions that allow people to respond to their circumstances of life. How did that make you feel? You know, show compassion in that moment. Don't assume that your cranky co-worker is just out to get you. No, listen and get to know them through kind and patient questions. The Lord will show you how to respond. Then it comes time, you got to open your mouth. you got to open your mouth and share the good news. 
open your mouth and share the good news. This is what it all comes down to, opening our mouths. I hope as you live sent with the people in your world, you're demonstrating God's grace to them. But you must speak. The gospel is a message. Ask permission. Ask them permission. Say, hey, you know what? I I can sense you've been going through something really hard. Can I share with you a message that's given me peace and hope? I just want to share good news with you. Let them know that you have hope and peace. More times than not, they're going to let you share. Ask and speak. Open your mouth. But when you open your mouth, make sure you give them biblical truth and not worldly ideas. Give them truth. People don't need catchphrases or cliches. They don't need platitudes or buzzwords. People need truth, God's truth, rock-solid truth, life-changing truth. Give them the truth of the Bible. Now, it may not always come through a a Bible verse that you quote. That'd be great if you did, but make sure your mind is being transformed every single day by the truth, by God's word, a chapter a day, a few verses a day. Feed and nourish yourself and your soul on God and his word, and then it'll allow you to offer that same nourishment to others. But give them truth. And then as you do that, point them to Jesus. As you open your mouth, point them to Jesus. He's the hero, right? Amen? He's the hero. He's the only one who could transform someone. You may feel intimidated in your unlikely moment to speak up because you think you have to fix your friend. No, don't even try to fix your friend. Be there with them and introduce them to the one who can, and his name is Jesus. He's the hero. He bled for your friend. He died for them, not you. He rose from the grave to give them life. Only he can do it. So introduce the one, the unlikely person in your divine appointment. Point them to the hero who is Jesus. And then as you open your mouth in love, ask them to respond. Last week we learned that God sends gift givers, not salespeople, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as we open our mouths, we're not, we're not called to close deals. No, no. We ask people to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. Offer them the gift. The gift that if they receive, they could have eternal life through Jesus. It's that simple, but it's the most loving and significant thing that you could do for an unlikely person in an unlikely moment at a divine appointment. Give them truth. Give them Jesus.